On this episode, Outriggers, the Brad Pitt of Korea, and Sup. Sup. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. We are very excited to have Michael Kelly with us today. He is, I know firsthand, an amazing instructor with REI Outdoor School. We used to teach together, and the man has a perfect paddle stroke, if that's at all possible. And he is also, speaking of paddles, an outrigger canoe and sup racer. So we are really excited with summer on its way, the heat in Southern California uh, hitting us to talk about water and things that are nice and cool in this heat. So anyways, Michael Kelly, we are so excited to have you with us today, um, each from our own homes, <laughs> virtually still. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Now, Michael, I don't I don't know you, but I know you know Severia, as she mentioned, and you also know Jason. How do you and Jason know each other? Well, Jason and I know each other kind of indirectly. Um, Jason was part of an awesome project with a friend of mine who I worked with at CBS, Rick Serena, and they went off on this amazing adventure to do the John Muir Trail and to make the movie Mile, Mile and a Half. And when that was finished, uh, Rick uh, asked me to do the graphics, the title graphics for the opening title sequence and the, the graphics for, uh, for the movie and the closing credits. That's my other job, uh, is I, I'm a motion graphics designer. Uh, so, uh, so that's the way I was introduced to, uh, to Jason. Yeah. And obviously you did some amazing work for us and that was, it was fantastic. <laughs> we, we had quite a few talented and amazing people, uh, working, working with us on that. And it's pretty amazing. And, you know, Mike, Mike amongst one of many, it was fantastic. For sure. A small world. It's yes. awesome when all those things connect. First of all, let's talk about SUP, because I know, like, that's, I, I love SUP and I know you're a big SUP racer. Are you still SUP racing? Because I know last time we... Last time I saw you, you were racing and you were doing pretty well. You were pretty competitive in it. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really transitioning uh, from sup racing to outrigger um, Sup racing, it's really fun. It's, 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 it's really a fun sport. It's like you're doing a 10K on the water, uh, and it's very challenging, and the training and the conditioning and the, and the races are really fun. Um, but the racing scene in Southern California is kind of fading. It's kind of dying out. Not many people are racing uh, so much. A lot of people are moving into outrigger canoe racing um, like I started doing last year. So I'm mostly just doing um, sup on the, just for fun and teaching. And then for the racing, I'm doing, uh, using, doing the outrigger canoe. And, and just, for the, just for the uninitiated, because I've never said the word sup out loud. <laughs> I have. You're, you're talking stand-up paddleboarding. What's up? <laughs> I, I, it's always like, hey, what, what's up? up? That's how I've always used it in the past. So, what's up, Jason? <laughs> hey, what's up, man? <laughs> you know, it's so funny about you know, uh, Santa paddleboarding's been out, you know, not that long, and and it's such kind of a the cool, the great thing about Santa paddleboarding is it's it's this sport that has ancient roots. It's been around for thousands of years. Somebody's been standing up in a canoe or some thing and pushing along forever, but in its modern incarnation, it's only been around since you know, 2007 or something, you know, when, you know, Laird Hamilton, you know, kind of first stood up on the board and started paddling around. And so it has this, you know, this, this modern kind of rebirth. And even now, 
the, the name stand-up paddleboarding or sup, it's, it's not agreed upon. So anything works. Um, and so tell us a little bit more about your outrigger adventures. I'm super curious about that. Yeah, outrigger canoe racing. It's, it's, it's super fun. I, I started outrigger canoe racing in high school. Uh, and it was really fun. It was, uh, I was, uh, on the surf team. I was a big surfer and the, uh, the outrigger canoe scene, uh, was really starting to build up. I was, this was in, uh, Newport beach in Orange County and in Newport Harbor. And, uh, the, one of the coaches recruited all the, uh, the surf team kids from the high school, uh, to be on the junior team for the outrigger canoe team. Cause they were developing that. And it was a perfect thing. Cause in the morning we'd go surfing. And then the afternoon, it's all windy and blown out. And so we wanted to be out in the water anyway. So then we go and train outrigger canoe racing. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And um, the whole team aspect, the whole um, being out in the ocean and paddling hard and racing was super fun. And then uh, after high school, I got into to bike racing and other things. And I always wanted to get back to outrigger canoe racing. And so last year, uh, a neighbor of mine was like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm paddling with the team, the local club here, Marina. Marina Del Rey Outrigger Canoe Club and you should come down. And so I went down and I was like, this is great. This is so fun. I jumped in and I was right back there and um, they were very accepting and, and I loved the competition part of it and the Ohana, the Hawaiian family spirit of it um, and being out on the water and really charging hard, being out in the ocean and big surf. And, uh, and it was just a lot of fun. I was hooked right away. So uh, I, was, I was back into it pretty quick. Awesome. And are you doing individual or team? boats yeah so the the seasons the the, the community the outrigger community here is, is really big it's there's there's about 30 clubs up and down from san diego to you know like uh to you know santa cruz santa barbara area and during the springtime and summer there's the it's called the six-man season so you have like a a 45 foot long outrigger canoe and, and some are made from carbon fiber and some are made from uh, a fiberglass some are heavier and lighter um and there's races like every other weekend up and down the coast um and you're in a six-man canoe, and you're 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 working as a team. You're working uh, um, You're paddling as a team. Um, you're and you're trying to go as fast as you can and work as a team and and uh, and, and and finish as best you can. Um, during the season, there's different phases of the season. There's there's the first part of the season, which is called the Iron Season, which there's races that are about ten miles long, and and all six guys are in the canoe at once. Uh, and then in the summertime, there's a short season of sprints where you do the sprint races. And then the really fun part is the, the later part of the summer is you have a nine man season. And this is where it gets really crazy where you have these longer races and you have, there's only six guys in the canoe. And then you would have an escort boat next to the canoe with three guys, three other paddlers. And every 15, 20 minutes, the escort boat drives up ahead of the canoe and three guys jump in the water and the canoe comes up to them. And, and in perfect timing, three guys jump out of this canoe, three new guys jump into the canoe and start paddling and keep going. So this constantly happens over and over so you can get a fresh crew. Um, but mayhem happens and craziness happens. And it's just pretty wild being out floating in the middle of the ocean, waiting for some canoe to come by for you to jump in. So uh, that's the nine man season. Well, so what are average distances when you say like long, so you said 10 miles ish was for the first season and then sprints are what on average? You know, there, there may be uh, you know, maybe a kilometer, maybe a mile or so, you know, at the most. Um, and then the longer races are maybe, maybe 15, uh, 15, 20 miles, maybe 20, 20 plus miles. Um, the fun part about the nine man is you start getting into later the season, the big, the, 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 the final, the championship of the season is this race from Catalina from Avalon to Newport beach. And I think that's, I think that's about 35 miles. 
Um, and that's the big race for Southern California. And that's really fun. That's the big throwdown race. And it's fun. The Hawaiian teams come and um, sometimes Tahitian teams come. And uh, it's, it's really the big Super Bowl of the race. Um, this past year, I was really fortunate. I was asked to, um, after that race, go to Hawaii and do a, a Pailolo Challenge, which is a race from Maui to Molokai. And uh, that was a really fun going across the channel, paddling um, with the Hawaiians. And there was Tahitians there and the Tahitians are the best. Like that's like their national sport. Um, and paddling in, in the big waters of, of Hawaii was a really awesome experience. So that race was, I think, that was 26 miles. So, yeah. That's, na that's nothing. No, nothing yeah. After you've done it from yeah. Catalina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the water's a little warmer, so that's probably nicer. Right. Well, that's a good, yeah, that was an issue for sure. I mean, one, it's, it's, it was really too, it was really hot. Um, but you have to understand too, the, 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 the whole idea of being in the ocean and uh, paddling these outrigger canoes is being kind of one with the water. I mean, you're really trying to surf. You're really trying to, you're working really hard to catch every little wave, every little bump and surf as much as you can. So ocean knowledge uh, of the steersmen, of how we're paddling, when we put effort in, you're almost sprinting to catch these waves. And then once you catch them, you're like, yay, for a second. Um, and so that's where local knowledge in terms of the swell, in terms of the wind is really important. And so I really, I really love that, that kind of a timeless uh, analog kind of, you know, you're really in touch with, um, with the earth. I mean, with, with the ocean in this case, um, in terms of what's happening with the ocean, it's not, uh, everything's dynamic. It's not like you're on a racetrack and it's set, you know, it's just concrete. It's like, everything's moving, everything's different every day. And, uh, and, and knowing how to deal with that and, and, and channel that energy is really, is really the key. Yeah. And then after, uh, after the six man season, then it becomes the one man season. And that's really fun too, where we have these one man outrigger canoes and they're like, uh, 21 feet long and they're, they're super fast. Uh, and there's a whole series of races that we're just kind of getting over now, uh, of the one man season. And those are very popular. Um, so I'm having a good time. Of course I had to buy a one man outrigger canoe. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. So my wife was like, come on, another sport, more toys. So uh, I'm really enjoying getting out. I was, I was paddling my outrigger canoe, uh, my one man this morning out in the ocean. And it's just awesome. I'm out there. I'm out there, you know, three miles out in the ocean, just hammering away, paddling on my own. Um, and it's just dead quiet. And I'm seeing stuff out there. It's, it's great. So how does it compare to stand up paddleboarding? Is it just, is it di totally different? Is it like, is one love taking over from the other? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because the stand-up paddleboarding, I love standing up, doing anything is better. Like standing up, surfing, standing up, doing anything standing up is, is more fun because uh, it's more challenging. So doing stand-up paddleboarding in the ocean or anything, it's, it's, it's so fun. Your, your, your view, you're working your whole body and uh, the, the challenge of it staying, especially in the ocean, being comfortable in the ocean, standing up is great. But the outrigger canoe is so much faster. It's it's just you know it's it's funny because the outrigger the, the stand up when you're really hammering. I mean you're going maybe six maybe six and a half miles an hour if you're really going with the outrigger canoe. We're going you know seven or eight you know in the ocean we're going you know it's not that much faster but it's a lot faster. So uh, and it's just more stable. You have this uh, outrigger out there, so your your canoe your vessel can be much more narrow and and and. Uh, and uh, again, I can go way farther on the outrigger canoe. Again, I, I, I think this weekend I was doing 13 miles a day out in the ocean um, where I, you just couldn't do that on a stand-up paddleboard. Um, and so mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's just the, the being low, having the outrigger, uh, you have this little cool little race car that you're paddling around in. So 
um, it's it's a lot of fun. The other the other aspect of the one man scene is that there's tons of people that are doing it, and so I'll paddle with my team. There'll be you know ten of us out there, all socially distanced, all kind of far apart, but we're all paddling together. And uh, so it's just it's fun being able to to paddle with the group and push yourselves and 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 help each other out. Michael, when I was living down in uh, Orange County in San Clemente, I had a hiking friend who was you know, had been in the, one of the outrigger clubs down in Dana Point. And she was trying to talk Joan and I into like joining one of the clubs and, and doing that. And, uh, what, what kind of experience do you need to have to like get into this if you wanted to join a club and how would you go about that? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I mean, the great thing about, um, the outrigger, the canoe club, uh, scene is that you don't need any experience. And that's the great part about it. You can uh, you can join the club with no experience, and they, they they have a novice season. They have a novice group, and so you come into the club and you practice um, uh, as a novice, and they have coaching, and you do specific drills. And um, they have a you know the the they have a juniors club, uh, a junior group, and then the KK, which is the little the little guys, on um, the women's team and the men's team, um, and even within the men's team, you have the uh, the older guys. So whatever, however you want to do it. Some people aren't really hard charged and just want to get out there and, and paddle with the group and, and improve a little bit. Um, some people are just beginning, and so they can jump in and, and, and get that those the you know get the instruction. Um, and then some people are, are really like you know really hardcore racers and they really want to throw down and and that's kind of part of fun. So it's it's a great sport in terms of anybody can just start um, and because it's the you know it's 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 pretty easy. So. Um, and the clubs are very supportive of, you know, you go to these races and there's thousands of people there from all over. There's tents set up, there's little kids and all the different races going on day long for all the different categories. So it's really inclusive. Um, there's also the, um, which I really like the, uh, you know, the, the, the cultural aspect, the spiritual aspect of, uh, you know, the, the Polynesian Hawaiian cultural that we're, that we're very respectful for. I mean, this is their sport. So the way we, uh, treat the canoes the way we name the canoes what you know we have ceremonies when we get a new canoe or before a race um so we we definitely are um adhere to those you know hawaiian uh, cultural spiritual you know um parts of it which are really cool if if somebody were to join one of these clubs what kind of commitment do you have to make i mean how much of uh of your month and your year let's say is consumed by this and what are the costs yeah so the the uh the, the commitment, actually, that's where it kind of comes in. It's funny, the, 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 the teams usually, they, you know, if you're going to be part of a team, there's a two practices on two weekday afternoons and then one weekend. Um, and so the practices usually start at like 5.30. So uh, if, you, if you have a job and you, you know, are working in downtown and you're, you know, you're, you know, you're somebody who can't get off work, then for sure you can't get there. So uh, um, people make do. We have people, and the, the cool thing is we have the people on the team are, you know, everybody from contractors and construction guys to, to teachers, um, to, to, uh, you know, just corporate guys and they, whatever they do, they make their schedule work where they're down there in the afternoon. Um, and the other cool thing about being on this boat is, you know, once you get in the canoe, it doesn't matter who you are, right? what socioeconomic world you're from, what color you're from, whatever. Once you're in the canoe, everything stays on the beach and you, you know, you become, you know, one, one paddler in this canoe. Um, in terms of cost, um, you know, usually it's about a thousand dollars a year. Um, and then most people buy their own paddle for, you know, maybe 200, 200, 300 bucks. Um, so that, that's pretty much it. So it's not, it's not that bad. It's, I think it's better than going to a gym. 
Now, have you done much of this internationally? Have you done any cool travel? Have you done any of the races like, you know, in Hawaii or in Asia or any, anywhere like that? Uh, yeah, I want to do more. Like I was saying in last summer, I was uh, invited to go on our one of our, our teams to go to Hawaii to do the, the Pailolo Challenge, which was from um, from Maui to Molokai. Um, and that's leading up to a whole series of races um, leading in Hawaii, going from one island to the other. One's going from Molokai to Oahu. And uh, that's kind of like the really big Super Bowl race that, that I'm not at the level or any of us are at the level of doing. So yeah, so uh, they, they, uh, my, my dream would be to go to Tahiti. Uh, and, you know, in Tahiti, that's where, um, you know, outrigger canoe racing is their national sport and they, they do it from when they're babies. And it's, it's um, really cool to have a, the um, races every weekend going on um, in high school and college, every, everyone in kids and moms and every, everybody's racing outrigger canoe, but it's, on, it's really popular and it's a great place to do it. So, uh, so my, my, my dream would be to, to, to go to Tahiti and hook up and do an hour. Awesome. Your club has its own boats. How does, how do you get them from like one place to the other? Like, are, are there trailers? Is it like a pretty standard trailering system? Right. That's for sure a big issue. The to before we talk about that, the, there's two different kinds of, of six man canoes. And this is a big difference. There's, uh, the, the traditional canoes called, we call them spec canoes and they weigh, um, the, all these canoes are about 45 feet long. The spec canoes are the kind of the traditional uh, kind of fiberglass canoes, and they weigh about 450 pounds. They're really heavy, so to handle them uh, is is really difficult. Um, there's there's a there's something to be said for when you're paddling them. They're they're just they feel different in the water, and um, it's it's a different feel. Um, but but to trailer them to transport these 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 spec canoes is is difficult. Um, in the last, I guess, I think 10 years or so, they've come up with these things called unlimited canoes. And these are becoming kind of de facto. This is what everybody's mostly paddling at these races. And they're pretty amazing. They're the same length, but they're made of carbon fiber. So they weigh 140 pounds. Oh, wow. So just a few people can pick them up and move them around and they, and they kind of break apart. They kind of snap together. So the technology is really amazing on these. And they, uh, the way they paddle is, is, is faster. Um, uh, in some circumstances in, in when you're actually paddling them. So when we, we have a long trailer and we have some guy with a truck and all the teams have this and you have a super long trailer and part of, again, part of being part of the club is uh, everybody helps out no matter what. And so when we're loading, when we're unloading, the whole club is there um, helping out, you know, pr you know, getting these boats, you know, from the water and up under the trailer. So handling the, the, these uh, uh, unlimited canoes is, is pretty, is, is not that bad but we do load them up on a trailer and take them away. And are the teams like on the six man teams, is it women, men mixed? Like what are the configurations of the teams? Age group, like how, like what kind of constant makes up a team? So, yeah, you have, you would have a men's and women's teams and you have open, which is up to uh, 50, um, no, which is up to 40. And then you would have uh, seniors or the masters, which is uh, 40 to 50 and then senior masters, uh, which, oh no, masters see and then seniors which are from 50 to 50 59 and then senior masters which are from 59 to 60 yeah so yeah masters are 40 to 49 and then so um yeah so you know they they make and then they get they have kks which are the little kids and then you have juniors which go up to to 18 and then again you do have mixed teams they don't do that often i thought that'd be we'd be doing that more but they also have uh mixed teams of, of men and women too for sure which are Fun. And that's just an open team, whatever age. So again, the cool thing in terms of your placing, I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're not necessarily, it's the great part about it. It's, it's, it's your own race. I mean, you're racing within your own group. So you might, there might be, you know, 
30, 40 votes at the start line, but everybody's kind of wanting to, to, to do well in their category, you know, in their age group or um, so. So when they have a, when you have a race, it sounds like what you're saying is everybody's competing at the same time, even in different classes. Sometimes the, the, when the juniors and the, the KKs go, the little guys go, they go at different times. And, and a lot of times the women and the novices will have their race and it'll be a shorter course. Um, and then later on in the day, it'll be the, the, all the men's teams and maybe the mixed teams. So can, that'll be a longer, a longer race. You know, like how many people on average are in a club and d- are everybody racers or are some people just there for like the social aspect and the training aspect of it and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Some people, yeah, I'm, some people for sure don't race. They just, they want to, they want to, um, just paddle be part of the part of this group. Um, and we have a pretty big club. We have a big club. There's another club in Redondo that's really big um, called La Aquila. And they're kind of like the, uh, the big club in the neighborhood. I mean, in, in the area, and they, they are probably the, the top club in terms of, you know, placing in terms of being competitive. Um, and these clubs are, you know, a couple hundred people um, uh, each. Um, they're smaller clubs, um, you know, up and down, but th- there's a few big, big clubs. Um, and, and I'm sure some people don't race. And, and some of the clubs too, where, the uh you actually have to make the team so the other fun part about being you know uh, being in the race is just like any sport you've got to you know some of them you've you've got to be strong enough and you've got to prove that you can be on the boat to be on the team um so some people don't make the team um but but it seems everybody kind of just does whatever you know whatever they want to do and 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 takes whatever they want from it that's awesome. Yeah, I actually did one uh, one hour eager season in Hawaii when I lived there on a on a oh, novice okay. team. Yeah. On, on what island? Uh, big island. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So, and the big the big thing was always like you know if you're there long enough and if you get good enough to do the channel to do the, uh, I think is it Molokai to Oahu is that the big one you were saying? Yeah, yeah, that's the big one. Yeah, in in late September. Yeah, so that one's a. Uh, it's epic. I mean, it's really difficult. They train super hard for it. And that's the big one where the, again, all the Tahitians team goes. And I find it really interesting kind of learning about this and, and the rivalry between the Hawaiian clubs and the Tahitians and, and the Hawaiians really making an effort to, I mean, uh, you know, to really up their game and, and compete against the Tahitians. And um, so it's, it's, I love seeing that. I love seeing the rivalry. I love seeing the Tahitian Hawaiian rivalry now. Um, yeah, these outrigger canoes being vessels that are, you know, made of carbon fiber, they're super high tech and, and, and we're using them now, but yet the, the basic design, the basic technology is what we've been using, you know, a thousand years ago and what these guys were using to populate Polynesia or, you know, to, to go to war against each other or to, you know, colonize and stuff too. So uh, I think there's, there's a lot of other stuff going on, you know, in terms of that rivalry or inner island rivalry, who knows, um, using these, these um, really cool boats. Yeah, I just, I remember too, probably much like here, like, even though there's like a competitiveness between the team, like the different teams and areas, um, it's also like a big family, very Ohana, like well, everyone's sure. out there to have a good time. Yeah. And I was really, you know, I, I've been in Hawaii a bunch of times and, and I, I surf and the thought of, you know, when I went to Hawaii to do, to, to Maui to do this race, you know, I was a little concerned about, you know, the idea of um, if you were Hallie showing up to like pipeline, a, a surf spot, you know, and there's a bunch of, you know, it's a local surf spot. You're you're not going to go out. I mean, you need to be careful and you need to be respectful for sure. It always, but it's going to be a, a you know, you never know what's going to happen. And uh, you, you might want not to go surfing. Um, but in the outrigger canoe, when we got there to the beach, uh, it's a different scene. It's, it's, we're, we're coming over there. We're, we're doing their sport. We're being very respectful and the ocean's huge. And so we're not, it's not a limited resource. We're not competing for waves per se at a surf spot. We're, we're all just competing as, as racers out there. 
And I was really, uh, I, I really enjoyed that experience where went there, we're all helping each other, rig each other's boats. Um, and then the next day was, it was total throwdown, like let's race super hard. And then we got over to Molokai and, um, you know, the Hawaiian teams got, they were just super cool. The, the, the residents of Molokai were awesome uh, on the boat ride back to Maui where it's like a huge party. And uh, so it was really, it was really cool how accepting uh, the Hawaiians the were, um, you know, to us coming over and, and, and racing with them. Michael, you alluded to this earlier about how, when you when you bought your uh, your one man outrigger and your wife said, "Oh, another sport." What other sports do you have? You you've, you've done surfing, stand up paddleboarding, outrigger canoeing. What other sports do you, in the outdoors do you participate in? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. A lot, and when I do it, I kind of go full on at all. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So uh, first was. First was um, uh, road cycling. So I really got into, after I got out of high school and, and, and uh, I really got into road cycling and uh, I uh, traveled to Europe to race in Europe for a while. And I, that was my thing for a while, racing road cycling. And so of course I had to buy bikes and, and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and that, that dovetailed into mountain biking. And so I got into mountain biking, mountain bike racing, of course. Um, I can't do anything unless I'm racing it. Um, so I'm very competitive like that. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, so mountain biking, road cycling, and, and subsequently I've, I've stopped road cycling for a number of reasons. Um, and what other sports? Stand up paddle. I'm looking in my garage because I got all my stuff. <laughs> all the toys. <laughs> all the toys. Yeah, yeah. So then stand up paddle boarding. But um, yeah, I would think mostly mostly cycling, surfing, mountain biking. Um, yeah, and backpacking now. Now into you know backpacking and uh, and and and, and yeah, I, I, I did uh, I did whitewater kayaking past this past summer, and that was fun. Um, that was kind of like surfing on the river. So that was fun, but yeah. So. And are you still sup racing or are you just solely outrigger racing now? Yeah. You know, it's fun. The, uh, the, the last race I did in San Diego was, uh, they, they had, it was funny. It was the big, you know, I, I've been sub racing pretty serious for the past six years. And, uh, and, uh, when I, when I went to this race in San Diego, they, there was a sup race and the outrigger canoe race going on. And I had to decide which one I wanted to do. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do the outrigger race. And, uh, I was glad I did it and because it was just, it was a new challenge. I always like new challenges and it was fun. I did pretty well. And again, the race was longer. It was out in the ocean and the idea of being out in the ocean where the ocean's big and stormy and you've got to, it's, it's kind of, it's not, it is scary and you could flip these things over. They only have one outrigger on one side and uh, you're really having to be in touch. Like I was saying with the swell, with the ocean, with the tide, with the wind, uh, there's a lot to it in terms of the racing. Um, whereas the stand-up paddleboard race happened in the inside of the harbor and it's just kind of like you know it's kind of running or riding on the road you're just kind of putting your head down hammering where there's a lot more um kind of sensitivity and and, and awareness going into being out in the ocean racing a little outrigger canoe just out of curiosity just because you know you're out there do you have any sort of favorite wildlife moments i mean have you encountered a lot of whales have you dolphins you know, sharks, what kind of cool wildlife have you seen while you're out there on the ocean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, definitely dolphins. I mean, it's great. I mean, dolphins are my spirit animal. My wife makes fun of me. Um, but seeing, uh, it's seeing the, off of Santa Monica Bay, off of Marina del Rey, um, for the past few years, we're starting to see tons of dolphins and it's great. And they're, dolphins are just so cool because they'll come up and just like paddle, like just not paddle, they're swimming right next to you, just kind of cruising along with you for a while. And it, it might sound silly, but like what, what we're doing when we're out in the outrigger canoe uh, is similar to a dolphin. Like I totally feel like that whole dolphin mentality of, you know, when you're taking the, you're taking the, the, the boat to Catalina 
and, and the dolphins are like, you know, surfing the wake and that kind of thing, you know, like they're just having fun. So when, when we're, when I'm on my outrigger canoe, like, and a boat goes by, like I jump on its wake or if I'm out in the ocean, I'm, I'm trying to catch every little bump and, or surfing a wave with, with my outrigger canoe. So, you know, that's what the dolphins are doing. They're just having fun, trying to catch little waves and, and, and doing stuff. So it's awesome seeing the dolphins. I, I commune with them. Um, I also see, we also see whales, you know, um, uh, especially off Redondo beach, um, in the wintertime, we're seeing whales, um, a big, it, it's kind of a problem. We see, uh, there's a lot of in Marina del Rey, there's a lot of sea lions and people love, like when we do classes, like, Oh, the sea lion, oh my gosh. And I don't like the sea lions to me. They're the junkyard dogs at the Marina and, uh, you want to stay away from them. They can be aggressive and they smell. Um, and the sea lions will actually kind of, you'll be paddling and they'll like jump right in front of you or like almost, you know, they, they, uh, I think they're sleeping or something. So we come across those. Um, I have seen sharks, uh, you know, not, you know, just around. I'm not, I've never been afraid of sharks because I figure, you know, I, I'm a, um, you know, whether I'm on my stand up paddleboard or the canoe, I'm a sleek, you know, kind of thing, just kind of cruising through. Um, I don't think I look like anything. And also I have a stick, I have a paddle, which if they came across, I could, you know, poke them with. Um, I would, if I was one of those open ocean swimmers, I, I that would freak me out because you're splashing around looking like bait, you know, you're, you're, that would, that would concern me sharks if you were swimming in the ocean, but paddling, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not afraid of sharks. But, but you'd probably much rather see one in a canoe than on your paddleboard, right? Like a big, big, great white. Do you, do you feel safer in the outrigger than you do paddleboarding? That always just seems so kind of awkward the way you're standing on those out there, you know? Yeah, I, I would think, again, on the paddleboard, that's where being high, you're standing up, and so you have a better viewpoint of, uh, of seeing stuff um, when you're up high. And again, you have a longer stick. Um, but, uh, but my feelings towards sharks, if, if, if shark gets me, then, you know, that's, that's pretty rare in circle of life. I don't know. <laughs> When you're doing the outrigger, because you're going so much farther out, do you carry any sort of um, like emergency, like an inReach or an emergency beacon or like what kind of safety protocols do you sort of use when you're going out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, again, you know, being an outdoor school instructor, being having risk management and, 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 and keeping that in mind is really important. Uh, one of the, some of my fellow paddlers aren't as, you know, safety conscious. It's kind of cool to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm out here without a life jacket or anything, you know, it's, you're looking kind of, but for me, uh, definitely having definitely being prepared and being ready for anything. So for sure, I'll have a, a PFD, a, a personal flotation device that like a, a, um, you know, inflatable one, you know, not on me and it's, it's on my canoe that I can get to and, and open up. Um, when, uh, when I'm out there, I have a, a whistle, um, I also have a float plan. So I'll tell my wife like, Hey, I'm paddling here. I should be back here. Uh, the main thing I have is I, I bring my Apple watch, which I have cell reception. I always kind of check. I also have cell reception. Most people bring their phones, but I'll have my Apple watch with cellular. So it's amazing how even three miles out, you can get cell reception um, when you're out there. So that's kind of my go-to is so I, I wouldn't bring an inReach. Um, I would bring it if I was going on a, a backpacking trip for sure, or maybe a, an adventure, more of a, you know, a multi-day kind of way out middle nowhere thing, but just being off off the coast, I'm pretty confident with my with my watch phone. So I know you've mentioned it a couple times, and this is how we met. You're also an instructor and a guide. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I've been doing that for five years now, and uh, it it's it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Uh, um, uh, it's it's totally opposite of what I do. Like I was saying before, my 
my day job is to sit down and I, I make motion graphics uh, on a computer uh, and uh, it's subjective and it's, it's a lot of fun work, um, but it's, it's sitting in front of a computer in the dark room all day. And uh, being an outdoor school instructor is the opposite where I get to be outside and help people uh, learn some new stuff. Uh, and so that's a lot of fun. Uh, it doesn't pay as much as being an outdoor, uh, as being a motion graphics designer, but, uh, but it's a lot of fun and I, I really enjoy doing it. What kind of things do you teach? Um, well, I came into it from, uh, it's funny, I came into it uh, as a, the, the, the way I came to it was I saw on, I was an RAI member and uh, I'm, um, I saw on the, the classes, the outdoor school classes, uh, how to be a stand-up paddleboard instructor. So it was a class you could take. And I thought, well, I'm, I, I, I want to be able to teach um, you know, like scouts in my scout troop or my sons. I want to be able to learn how to teach what I do. Uh, so I took the class and, and the class, the only people in this, I think it was like a three-day class, were other outdoor school instructors from, from REI. And they were actually teaching it, taking it to get a certification. So I was kind of, I was with them. And so as I was taking the class, I thought, this is great. The idea of uh, learning how to teach people how to do something outside and, and how to break down a skill and the progression and all the parts of it which was I was really fascinated by it. And I also got I also got to meet the 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 kind of the bosses of you know, school. And at the end of it, I asked one, Look, you know, I don't know. I have no experience in this except doing all this stuff. Um, do you think I could work here? You know, and she was like, Yeah, you should apply. And so I applied, and and after a little bit, um, you know, I, I I was hired. And and the cool thing with outdoor school is they, even though I had didn't have experience being an outdoor guide and all that stuff, they. I had passion for it. I had experience for all the doing the stuff. Um, that, so they taught me how to teach. They have a great training program and they taught me, you know, risk management and how to, how to teach outdoor skills and, and all that great stuff and gave me, you know, in, little bits of experience and in, um, in teaching different things. And before you know it, I'm teaching um, stand-up paddleboarding and kayaking and ocean kayaking, uh, backpacking. Uh, I really enjoy teaching uh, backcountry navigation, map and compass and GPS navigation um, I also teach mountain biking, which I really enjoy, and advanced mountain biking, and a bunch of other stuff. So it's it's a really fun kind of you know the totally opposite thing I get to do. But it's it's awesome. At the end of the day, having people be like, I I, I was afraid to do this thing, and now I can do it. I'm really excited. I want to do it now, and uh, it's it's pretty cool. From the other side of that, it was I remember when you took the class because th those same instructors came back and were like, Oh my gosh, this guy took the class and he's amazing i'm we're really like he's and he wants to teach for us he's like great we're so excited so <laughs> i remember there was excitement on both ends that you were interested it's fun i'm sad i'm sad we're not doing it now during this pandemic we've had to we've had to kind of shut down um but hopefully we'll be back how has that affected the race season as well yeah it's, so it's it's all on hold so everything's on on hold and uh so yeah so we're all in the race season which is just about to start so we were all all ready to get charged up and to start doing it and so like everybody else, we're all kind of in a, a limbo mode. We're still, fortunately, I'm still able to, to train um, out in the ocean. I know a lot of guys can't, um, but I paddled this morning. And uh, so as soon as it comes back, we'll, it, the, the cool thing about, well, with one man outrigger, you're, you're, you're inherently socially distant. You're, you're, you're apart from people. Um, unfortunately, on the six man, you're, you're, you're all kind of together on the six man boat. So, um, but I'm really hoping that we can figure something out and get back on the water for the instructor and start racing so so michael not only as he mentioned he teaches backpacking and they do a really cool trip on catalina please tell us more about that 
So this is the Trans-Catalina Trail. So this is this trail that's about 38 miles uh, on Catalina, and uh, it starts in Avalon and goes all the way almost to the end of Catalina uh, and, back, and back a little bit. And it's this, it's this trip that REI Outdoor School has been doing for, gosh, I think about three years now. Um, and we take people, 11, a whole, you know, whole group, maybe 11, 17 people, and we take them over to Catalina. And for four days, we hike the Trans-Catalina Trail. And the great thing about it is the trip is supported. So we don't carry backpacks. We have our, we work with the, uh, the Catalina Island Conservancy Company, the Catalina Island Conservancy. And they, they support us by carrying our packs and cooking our food. So all we have to do is just hike with the day pack and we get to our campsite at night and all our gear there, we set up our tents and then they come and make us this awesome dinner and then they clean up the dinner and leave and then we hang out. Uh, then we wake up the next day and they bring us breakfast and, and then we start hiking for the whole day. And so that, that goes on for four days and it's a super fun thing. I've done it, I think seven or eight times now um, on different trips and uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And so it's a great way for people to get out who want to do the Trans-Catalina Trail and maybe can't get the, the permits for the camping because um, we have all that dialed in, or somebody who wants to do the trip and, and doesn't want to carry a backpack. I know that's going to be a, a downer for some people, so it's a, it's, a, it's a really fun experience. We did it last year during the, uh, during the super bloom, and that was awesome. With The flowers were crazy, and uh, people were going crazy with the flowers. And So we've had some adventures, for sure, uh, doing the, the, tra the Trans-Catalina Trail. So I was just about to do it, um, actually a couple weeks ago. And of course that's been canceled. So I was really looking forward to doing it again. What's your favorite time of year? You know, the, when it's not too hot, it's, I think this the spring is really nice. Cause again, it's blooming and it's grass. The, there's, there's no tree cover. That's the thing. The hiking itself is camp is really pretty strenuous. I mean, you're, there's no tree cover. There's sometimes not a lot of switchbacks. You're, you're going up and down these, these hills. You're basically, you're heading North along the Island and you're just going back and forth between up and over you know, an 1800 foot um, uh, mountain range. You know, you're kind of going back and forth over to one coast to the other coast. So it can be, it can be hot and it's because you're so exposed. So in the, in the springtime, the fun part, one of the fun kind of exciting kind of challenges is the, um, is the buffalo. So there's, there's buffalo on Catalina Island and we come across those and it's, it sounds funny like, oh yeah, I got to come across buffalo. What do you know? That's funny, but it's serious business. People, you can get really hurt. So a big part of it is the risk management of how to deal with buffalo. So invariably we'll come up on and we'll see some buffalo off in the distance or right on that trail. And as guides, we need to say, okay, what's that buffalo doing? Is he wagging his tail? Is he looking at us? Um, it, you know, does he have the high ground? Um, that's important, you know? And so we have to sometimes bushwhack around, you know, for a long time to, to get around this thing where if you didn't know better, you just kind of walk right past him and, and that could be bad. Um, so dealing with the, the buffalo issue is definitely uh, there on, on on Catalina. Kind of kind of an interesting situation because they're not native species. That you know you you're, you're dealing with something like a buffalo, a giant animal like a bison, you know, in that environment. Yet you know they were brought there for a film, I believe, in like the you know early early last century. So it's kind of kind of an interesting 
you know, it's not like bears or sharks where you're dealing with an animal that's native to that environment. You're actually dealing with these giant animals that are not, not a native species. But they've been there for decades now. So I was going to say, I've done the Transcalina twice. Uh, the first time I did it was at the end of March, the beginning of April. And I have to say, I would agree that that's sort of the perfect time to go because everything's just beautifully green. You've got wildflowers, you know, it's, it's uh, the most scenic time. The other time I went was in October, which it was a little bit cooler, a little, you know, uh, mistier, but everything's brown then. So it's a, it's a different experience. Um, they were both great and it's a fun, fun trip. But um, my favorite time would be the spring. It's a real special place. I mean, when you're on Catalina, especially, I'm not a big fan of Avalon, but once you get outside of Avalon, I mean, it really is a throwback. You're totally in, you're like in California in, you know, 1890 or something. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's great. It's so pristine and uh, has so much history. And, uh, and just, I love uh, Two Harbors, um, that little town there and the, and the, and the little uh, store and the bar. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a pretty cool place. Yeah. It's pretty wild to think when you're on that trail to think that you're just, you know, 36 miles off the coast or whatever it is, you know, you're not that far away from the, you know, metropolis of Southern California. And yet it feels like a whole different world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I have to ask surfing coach to a Korean actor. Tell us more. I want to hear, I want to hear more about this story. That was hilarious. So, um, my wife, uh, is, uh, is uh, is an actor and she's an actor turned uh, acting coach and she's really good at it and she's now owns an acting studio and it's like one of the best studios in LA and so uh, a lot of uh, big time stars go to this acting studio to to be coached and to you know sometimes my wife will go on set with you know some acting star to help them with their movie role so she was helping this uh, Korean actor. He's like a big time actor from Korea. They, they say he's the Brad Pitt of Korea um, for his first U.S. movie role. And this, this, this movie uh, is called Tsunami L.A. And so it's about a tsunami that hits Venice. And uh, the, this Korean actor it plays a surfer who, who helps rescue people and, and craziness happens. So this is his first movie. So she was helping him uh, with the acting part. And the, the director said to him, you know, hey, you, part of your, part of your, you know, research should be, you should get in the water. I mean, you should, you know, get it, get, get, you know, not necessarily learn how to surf, but get in the water and, 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 and take some lessons and, and kind of, you know, get, get, you know, get more comfortable being on the beach and in the water and, and just water sports, they called it. So my wife was like, hey, my husband, you know, and so I met him and his manager and his people. And they said, look, we want, we want him to get experience in the water for three lessons and stuff. And I said, well, okay, cool. And so I met him and he was a super nice guy. And uh, I took him out boogie boarding one time. I took him stand up paddle boarding. Um, I took him like just I, to the beach a couple times and he loved it so much. He was like, I want to keep doing this and I, and I want to learn how to surf. And I was like, well, you know, okay, well, well one, that's going to take a long time. Learning surfing is a really, it's the most fun sport you can do, but it's the, it takes the longest to learn how to do even decent. And, uh, and also I told his, 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 uh, his manager, look, if, if he learns how to surf, if we actually do this, he's going to get hurt. Like I, I showed her my scars, this, here's this, here's this, this happened here. Like once you start surfing, <laughs> you're going to get hurt. So, um, they're like, he can't get hurt. I'm like, well, 
that's not going to happen. But so we started uh, doing surf lessons during the week in, in, in Malibu and Venice and in the area here. And uh, he was loving it so much. Um, he bought surfboards and wetsuits and I would take him to the surf shop because that's a big part of being a surfer is, is knowing how to go to the surf shop and being like, hey, how's it going? You know, and be able to talk the talk, you know, just, just be able to hang at the surf shop. Um, I, in fact, I would go to the surf shop before we went and I would say to the surf, the guys, and I'd be like, Hey guys, I'm bringing a client in just, you know, be cool. And like, you know, ask them about surfing and stuff. And so, um, but he got totally into it. And at a certain point I, I told him, I said, look, we, 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 the waves here are so bad. We need to go someplace else and surf better waves. Um, so I go, where I'm like, well, we could go to, you know, to Orange County, to Doheny or San Diego. So then we went into this whole phase. This, this went on for like months where they would um, put me up at the Ritz Carlton and, uh, and we would go surfing like at Doheny in Orange County. Like I would be at the Ritz Carlton, like hanging out in the hotel, like, Hey, getting paid. And then I would take him out. And um, part of teaching him how to surf was, I don't know if you've, if you've ever learned how to surf or, seeing people how to learn, uh, learning how to surf is that the surf, the surf instructor will be in the water and he'll literally push the people in. They'll be on the board and they'll literally push them into a wave and the people stand up and be like, I'm surfing. And I wasn't down with that. I didn't want to do that. Um, I, to me, surfing, the, big, the, uh, the hardest part of surfing is not so much riding the wave, but it's, it's how to paddle out and be out in the, in the lineup, how, where to position yourself, where, when to know when the wave comes, how to turn around and how to paddle hard and catch the wave. And then with that too, how to navigate the, the whole weird social dynamic of being in the lineup, how to, you know, the, 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 the etiquette of being in the surf lineup and how to be cool with the other guys and how to catch a wave, how to like earn a wave. Um, and so I never pushed him. And so his, his development of surfing was, was, was kind of slow because I wasn't out there like doing it for him. I was like, Hey, look, come on, let's go. And making him go out and, and, and surf the lineup. So we would go out, surf San Diego, and we'd rent, they would rent a house like right on the beach um, in Oceanside, and I would hang out. I was like the, the surf boy cabana you know, coach. I would just hang out. I had my own room, and it would be like, hey, now we're surfing, and we'd go out to dinner. And uh, it was a cool and, – and the thing is, is he was Korean. His, um, his manager is uh, from Singapore, and he had, uh, he had some other staff there, and he was just the nicest guy. If, uh, if he were an ass, like if he were like a Hollywood, like I wasn't doing it for the money. He was just, he was so into surfing and he was such a nice guy um, that, that, that I was like, yeah, sure. We, we became friends and uh, um, I was like his hired surf coach. And at a certain point towards the end, you know, the movie was going to come up. He was going to surf in the movie. He was like, I want to take a trip. And I'm like, well, let's, let's go to Nicaragua. Let's go to Costa Rica. Um, but he didn't want to go to Costa Rica because they didn't want to eat that food. It was too, you know, they want something fancy. So we went to Hawaii I uh, went to Oahu and rented a house, this awesome house. And we, for a week, we traveled around and found surfing spots and surfed in Hawaii. And, um, and then later on, we went and did the movie. And so he, he did awesome. We, we shot the movie in Huntington Beach. And we, we, I, they, they asked me to find the perfect time. And so I was looking at the swells and the swell, you know, when the perfect day would be. And it was like, this is going to be the day and we should go to this place. And I t- dialed in exactly where it should be. And we practiced beforehand, and sure enough, that the day of the shoot, the waves in Huntington were perfect for him, and uh, we shot for two days. And and he was so excited because he is now going to be the first Korean actor to surf in a movie. And so, wow, yeah. So uh, hopefully the movie will come out, and yeah. So it was it was a fun experience for sure. 
Sounds like a rough gig. Yeah. <laughs> Travel around, you know, wine and dine and surf, you know? <laughs> well, it's funny, the dining part was, I was saying, you know, I was basically adopted by, you know, an Asian family because, uh, you know, they were, they, again, he's, they have, a, they, they like to eat really nice. And uh, I, I'm, you know, um, I can eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all every day, but we would go out to really nice restaurants every night and and uh and but they were you know we were going to japanese restaurants and korean restaurants and restaurants that i would be like okay i want a hamburger so uh but they had, they had a really fun time uh introducing me to all this different uh, asian cuisine they would give me something and explain it and then kind of laugh when i i, I didn't like it so i was kind of a, a novelty to them so super fun that's cool so I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear about your experiences racing in Europe when you were younger. What was that experience like? Um, it, it was awesome. I and mean, my, my, my way getting into road cycling was uh, uh, when I was in high school, I, I was on the surf team. I was surfing pretty seriously competitively. And I started, you know, I was outrigger canoe racing, but I started uh, getting on the bike to train for surfing. And uh, uh, I, I took to it. I was kind of getting sick of with surfing, you know, just kind of fighting for the crowds. And, and it was just something new. And I was like, you know, I want to, um, do something, do something new. So anyway, I started riding, riding bikes and I, I, I started racing and I was like, this is awesome. I was, I was doing pretty good off the bat and I love the competitive part. I love the, the side of, um, uh, I love the kind of craziness, how, you know, the dicing it up in the pack and crashing and, and, you know, just every, it was like, it was like Mad Max on bikes. And so I thought that was kind of fun. Um, so I started racing and, and, uh, that was in, I think 82, 83, and right before the 84 Olympics and uh, um, the, uh, I was writing, when I first started writing, the, the group that I was writing with was the, um, the this, this uh, person who was putting on the, 80, the, the cycling part of the 84 Olympics. And so he was really well connected and I didn't even know that. And uh, the 84 Olympics happened and we went and I got the VIP thing and I was able to see it and I was like, this is so awesome. And uh, again, this is, you know, I had been racing for probably a year and uh, this gentleman who was awesome uh, recommended me uh, to, to go to Colorado Springs, the Olympic Training Center, to, to, to train with the national team. And again, I had just started training. And so I was like, sure. So I went to Colorado Springs and, and stayed there for a few months and was tested. And this is when all the, um, all the Polish coaches were coming over from Eastern Europe and, and being the cycling coaches in uh, – you know, bringing the, the, the Eastern European system to, uh, to, uh, to the U.S. And so uh, um, I found out at, you know, the Olympic Training Center was an awesome experience, uh, just a whole different thing, uh, training with those kind of guys. I actually did um, the Tour of Texas after that, which was a, an international race with all these big-time guys. And again, here I'm racing, I'm 18 years old, and I had, I had been racing for just a year. I barely knew what I was doing. And now I'm in this international race. And these guys that I'm racing with, like I have posters of them on my wall. And I'm just petrified not to crash them out. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And uh, I did pretty badly. I did okay in some of the races. I, I you know, I did okay. Um, but at the Olympic Training Center, um, I, I, they did uh, physiological testing on me. And they, uh, they came to the conclusion that I, I didn't have the physical, you know, part, you know, to be an elite cyclist. And uh, I was kind of fine with that. I was like, yeah, I don't care. Sure. And that's, that was okay. It was a great experience. Um, so I came back here and I started racing a little bit. Uh, and I had a girlfriend who, who moved to France. And uh, of course, I decided to follow her there months later. 
And uh, when I got there, she was not my girlfriend anymore. She was dating a French guy um, and she no longer spoke English. And uh, she had, didn't want anything to do with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was heartbroken uh, in Paris uh, in the middle of the winter. Um, but I was like, I'm going to ride. And so I started riding with the clubs there. Um, and, uh, and then I, you know, I, was, um, I went to the south of France and I hooked up with this family in uh, Lake Canet, which is just outside of Cannes in France. And uh, um, they took me in and I hooked up with the local uh, bike racing team there. And I was, uh, I was just floored. It was so awesome being in the South of France and bike racing in France was, you know, it's of course it's, it's huge. And uh, so they, the, it was really, it was fun being completely engulfed or, you know, uh, immersed in the French culture uh, being, being, you know, playing their sport. It was like playing, you know, it was like going, it was like playing college football. You know, everybody who, you know, where people are beeping at you in their cars when we were training and every race, it was in the paper the next day and people knew I was the funny American. Um, so it was, a, it was an awesome experience. Uh, I got my butt kicked. Um, I did okay in some of the races, but uh, it was an experience for sure, um, racing in France, seeing that level. And it was fun seeing some of the guys that I was racing with, seeing how they went on to be pro racers and, and you know, they had real, you know, European careers and stuff. But uh, it was, and, and the best part of being in France was I was alone. Uh, I knew some French and I, I, I being there, I, I, I had to learn French, um, to, to survive. Uh, but just being on my own, traveling on my own, being a young person, traveling in a country with no money and just having a bike and, uh, just trying to get by and, and getting jobs and stuff was, was, it was, it was a pretty cool experience. I don't know, Mike, I think you are the official most interesting man in the world. I think that's my takeaway from this interview. I mean, this is that's pretty amazing, like a pretty broad, I, I, not many people are like, you know, have, have this many different sort of cool outdoor passions. Oh, thanks. I wish the listeners could have seen my face when you said I was I was deemed not fit enough like for cycling standards because you're literally the most fit person I've ever met in my life and I'm like like how is that even possible <laughs> like that was what why you didn't make it anyways right you know when when I was so, so Jason I was when I did race when I came back from from uh, from from France and, and Colorado I was uh, you know I, I was a a category two bike racer. So I was racing, you know, mm-hmm. when they had the different categories, the category twos would race with the yeah. ones and the pros together. And, um, and it was, hum- and, it, and it was fun. I, again, I was, I, I didn't do, I, sh- I, sh- I didn't do that well. I was just kind of there. I was happy to be there. And it was, it was kind of fun being there. I, I probably should have raced in the lower categories where I could have, you know, been more competitive and stuff, but I had worked so hard to get to that level. I was like, man, I'm going to, and it was actually, in the bigger picture it was actually safer to race with the ones and the pros and, you know, at a higher level, um, the lower level is a little more squirrely and it's a little more dangerous. Um, but more than that it was more of an ego thing. I worked so hard to get there. Um, but, but I enjoyed trying sports and, 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 and especially seeing, I, I, I'm a better fan when, when you can actually do a sport, especially doing a sport and you're actually next to uh, an elite athlete that is doing it and seeing how much better they are than you. And then seeing how much better the top guy is than them, being a cycling fan or being I'm a car racing fan. I mean, being doing anything and then seeing, you know, seeing it done for real. You can I, I just am a better fan. I can I can appreciate just how at what level these guys are at. No, I always like when I when I go to the when I watch the things or even I've gone you know watched the tour of California and and I used to go to like the that Grand Prix of San Francisco when they had it. I went to that a few years and seeing how fast they are. But the crazy thing is the time trials. I mean, you watch the time trials and these guys are going 30 miles per hour 
for like almost an hour and just try to pedal your bike at 30 miles per hour. Even a good racing bike, even when you ride a lot and you're pretty strong, is really hard to pedal at 30 miles per hour. And the fact that these guys do that for like an hour, it's mind-blowing. And you just realize they're like another species. They're like on a whole complete other level from where you are physically. I think everyone that plays sports and has any intentions of being serious, no matter how they are, probably, if they're not that top level of talent, runs into that top level talent and realizes that that's not them at some point. I think we've all, all athletes have had that kind of humbling experience. So, so, but it's pretty cool. It sounds like you had a really cool experience with it and it was, you know, uh, pretty fun for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had some good results and, and, and stuff, you know, one of the, you know, that kind of make, makes me think about, um, you know, in terms of commitment in terms of, you know, at the, you know, at the high level, you know, um, kind of going back to when I was in France, we would be uh, training with the team and uh, you know, again, it's very serious there where you're, you're training a specific thing and you have the team cars behind you, like the whole thing. And when we would go by, people would be waving and stuff. But um, again, we were in um, the, the club would always get mad at me because one, they, they said I should lose weight, which they were right. I wish I actually, I was, I had too much weight. And, and later on when I started running, actually that's the other sport I do running. Um, when I started, you know, I actually had lost, I should have been at a way less weight. Um, I should have taken that seriously and that would have been better. But the, um, so my last question for you um, is, so you've, there's been a theme of like competitiveness and that you like, you know, racing and there's a com- competition piece of it. So what sport or what brings you joy that has like no race competitive component to it? And you can't say like, oh, well, when I outrigger by myself, because that doesn't count because you're, you're always kind of training. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, for sure, you know, uh, teaching people, teaching uh, total newbies on how to how to stand a paddleboard or how to mountain bike. Um, I also love taking, I'm, I'm a boy scout leader. And so taking the scouts out on a, a high adventure trip on a backpacking trip or a canoe camping trip and, uh, and planning the trip and then, and then going out and doing with them um, is awesome. You know, having them experience that thing for the first time and, and start to get that love of the outdoors. Um, that's, that's my pr- favorite non-competitive thing, and, you know, and then the teachings too. I and mean, it happens every day where, People are just like, I, you know, you, you can either make this thing really fun for them or really horrible. Um, but if you, can, if you can introduce the sport to them in a fun way, this, this outdoor activity, um, and they're, they're now, that's their thing. My favorite thing is I, um, you know, I'll be out stand-up paddleboarding and I'll see somebody that was one of my students and they'll be like, I go and I'm like, like I bought a board, I'm out here. I'm like, yeah. Um, so that's, that's my favorite. That's my, my favorite thing that really makes a joy that makes this whole thing, you know, worth it. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us on the almost there adventure podcast. Um, I feel like the ocean, you know, you're almost there, right? Cause like the ocean's so big, like you're never actually, <laughs> you have the potential to never get someplace, um, or somewhere, but, um, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure and it's been exciting learning actually so much more about you. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Michael. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's going to do it for us. You can find Michael on Instagram at mkellydesign, M-K-E-L-L-E-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N, and at a bunch of other places which we'll have in our show notes. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media on Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventurous Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Muir Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. 
We'll have all kinds of really cool, interesting stuff from this episode in our show notes, which you should check out every week because there's lots of cool stuff there. Those can be found at almosttthereadventurepodcast.com. And on our next episode, we talk to naturalist, host, and breakdancer, Griff. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.